Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. We have not met. My name is Ali and uh, we are starting a brand new collection of talks called Spicy Christians Gone Wild. And yes, if you were born in the 80s, which is the greatest generation, by the way, come on, talk about it. There was this inappropriate video about people and culture going wild, and uh, we are just leveraging that name because sometimes Christians go wild. And uh, if you're new to Center Set, we, this is a church where not only Christians can grow in their faith, but unchurched people can explore their faith. So if you're new to church, let me tell you, we, we created the service and this church with you in mind. We wanted to create a place where not only you can come and grow, but you can come and ask questions. Are y'all ready for today's sermon? Are y'all ready? Because it's going to be a juicy six weeks. You should have got one of these on the way in. It's a free 99, 20% off if you, if you can tell them the name of your pastor. It's, we're going to spend six weeks in the book of 1 Corinthians and what I really want you to do is use this journal to do your soaps, to spend your time with God, and really take notes when you're in church. Because if you take notes in church, you're more likely to go to heaven. And new people always ask, what's the percentage, Pastor Ali? Like 98% more likely to go to heaven if you take notes in church. It's a good number. If you see the text on the screen, someone say amen. amen. Paul. Paul. Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ let me give you a little little fact fun fact Sosthenes is the dude who actually wrote 1 Corinthians Paul, at this point in his ministry, was so blind he couldn't read or write. And what's crazy is that Paul, in his letter in 1 Corinthians, says, hey, in my previous letter, I, I, I wrote these things, and, which means 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. A little nerd, nerding out for some of you who are like super Bible nerds. And then in the 2 Corinthians, he says in my previous letter, so-and-so. So-and-so is never in 1 Corinthians. So actually, 1 Corinthians was lost. This is 2 Corinthians. 3 Corinthians was lost, and 2 Corinthians is 4 Corinthians. And the heart of these two books is Paul's writing to a church that has gone el pollo loco. They're crazy. And so really what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be answering questions that the church is asking. And the question today is, why church? Next slide. Why church? Why go? Why do we even have church? Turn to your neighbor and say, why? Turn to your other neighbor and say, por qué? Bow your heads and let's close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do today. I'm believing, God, that you're going to speak to your people. We came in one way, God, but we're going to leave another. I'm believing, Jesus, you're going to speak to us. Sometimes, God, our culture says that the church is irrelevant. The church is no longer needed. We don't need the church but God, you're going to show us why there is nothing on the planet like the local church. God, there's so many things that we can be building in our life. We can build our 401k. We can build a six-pack. We can build a career. But there's only one thing we take with us to heaven. That's when we build the local church. 
God, change us, transform us, show us what we don't see. And if you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said? Come on, give some Jesus a clap. Come on. Five o'clock. First Corinthians is an interesting book because often the, the context is so similar. So, uh, for those of you that have ever heard the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, research says that uh, 60% of us who went to public school, which is most of us, by the way, uh, we are visual learners. So I need to show you a picture of 1 Corinthians so you understand. This is, see that green dot right in the middle? Corinth. And if you notice between Corinth and Athens, there's this little, like, tiny bridge. It's called the Isthmus. For those of you that don't remember what you learned in fourth grade, it's a land bridge. And so what happened was, is, is that no one was living in 1 Corinthians, and, what, and if they wanted to go around this island, they would have to spend an entire month going around. But then sailors got smart. They would come to the shore, they would take all of the cargo off the boat, and like a bunch of bodybuilders, they'd lift the boat, they'd walk across the isthmus, and then get back in the water. Why would they do that, Pastor Alec? Because it'd save in a month. It would take three days to walk across and a month to go around. And what ended up happening is there's all these sailors, there's all these citizens that are now hanging out and living in Corinth. And in, in the Roman Empire, this became the city to live in. Very similar to Silicon Valley. This became the central hub for immigration. 40% of people in Silicon Valley are foreign-born. 50% actually speak a second language. This is like literally exactly what was happening in Corinth. And Corinth was attracting young families. I call them dinks. Dual income, no kids. And there's another term I just learned about a week ago. Henry's. What's Henry? High income, not rich yet. Silk so Corinthian was attracting all these young families. They were, the housing market was exploding. People had more dogs than kids. Literally, this is a picture of Corinth. And what's, what's so interesting about Corinth is there's this temple, the temple of uh, Aphrodite. And for those of you that don't remember your Greek history, Aphrodite was the god of love and romance. She probably would have starred in uh, the Greek notebook if there, there was in movies back then. And the, this, the, this temple had a thousand temple prostitutes, which is crazy. And on any given day, there would be prostitutes. So imagine these sailors and this culture. They, they were the most godless, the most pagan people in all of the Roman Empire, and they were living in Corinth, which is very similar to Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley has 40% of us that are from another part of the country. We call them orphans and dreamers here. Hey, you're orphaned because you, you were born somewhere else, but you're a dreamer because you're coming here for a career. You're coming here for school. You're trying to strike it rich, what I call the dot-com gold boom. And it's so interesting that, that Corinth, it mirrors what was happening in Silicon Valley. In Corinth, there'd be a thousand temple prostitutes. That, that, that's where you went to go to have sex. In Silicon Valley, there's apps and massage parlors. Uh, what most people don't know is the sex trade is actually booming in Silicon Valley. Because you have all these 30-year-old engineers who are single and have money to burn. They're too afraid to ask a girl out, so they'll go to an app to get what they want. Uh, in our culture, when someone sleeps around, we use this gardening language. I'm not going to even say it. But in 1 Corinthians, they would say, oh, where are you from? Like, oh, I'm from Corinthians. Oh, you're, one of, you're the Corinthian girl. Or you're a Corinthian guy. They would use this language to talk about uh, the reputation of people from Corinth. And it's important that you understand what was going on. Because in this city that was totally godless, God was showing up. In the most unlikely city, God showed up and hundreds of people were coming to faith. And I wrote down like this, the darker the city, the brighter God's love. 
And I don't, I'm not sure if you know this, but Silicon Valley is the most unchurched region in the entire country. There are less Christians here than anywhere else in the country. It's crazy. You go to, to like the South, or you go to like uh, somewhere in Georgia, there's a church on every street corner. Literally, I, I hear of churches almost every month now closing down, shutting down Silicon Valley. Pastors are, are, are quitting, throwing in the towel. Uh, it, it's just crazy what's happening. And not only that, in, the, the darker the city, the brighter God's love. God was showing up in the city. Uh, there's this uh, example of, uh, of God's love showing up there, uh, in 1 Corinthians. But what's happening is that these people were, were going to the temple. They were sleeping around, and then God would show up. And these people would then, these same people that were going to the temple were, were coming to the church. And often what was happening, I wrote down like this, Corinthian, the Corinth got in the church more than the church got in Corinth. I'm having a huge brain fart. Forgive me. <laughs> Let me just pause real quick and pray again. See, Jesus, I've totally lost my train of thought. But I know, God, you're going to use me to speak your word. Help me get back on track. And everybody said, amen. amen. So there's this dude. His name, is, his name is Tom Holland, and he wrote this book called Dominion. And he wrote about what was happening in Corinth. Let me just read very quickly what he was saying. He said, while studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something. Simply the ancient were cruel and their values utterly were foreign to him. The Spartans and the Romans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasures of those with power. Infanticide, which is basically abortion, was common. The poor and the weak had no rights. How do we go from that to this? It was Christianity. Holland writes, Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality within monogamy. It, was, it is ironic, Holland writes, that these are now the very standards for which Christianity is hated. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. What's crazy, though, is that in Corinth, these are, these are basically non-believers becoming Christians. And Corinth was now influencing the church more than the church was influencing culture. And Paul is the pastor. He's the guy who started the church, and he's writing to these Corinthians gone wild. And so now I want to write to a bunch of Christians gone wild. There's another way. I know our culture says how to live. I know our culture says how to do sex. I know our culture says how to do money, but God has a different way for us. And the, the Corinthians, man, they, these were jacked up people. If, if you pull out your notebook and just read through the book, Paul is answering question after question after question. Because there were so many issues in the church. Number one, there was divisions. For example, let me modernize it. I only like when Pastor Alley preaches. I'm not going to even come when Sarah preaches. And other people say, I only come to church when Sarah preaches. I don't come when Pastor Alley preaches. That's what they were saying back then. And then imagine in the San Jose Mercury News, but for them it was the Corinthian Mercury News, a bold church member sues another church. And back then, there was only one church in the entire city. So everyone knew which church you went to if you were a Christian. Whereas here you just walk across the street or go somewhere else. The, the, the community was laughing at the Christians. Then the sexuality was coming in. There was stories. He's going to read it. There's a dude who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. There's a, there, there was times where they would come and have communion, and instead of, like, praising God, they, they'd have a sexual orgy. Uh, 
Because in 1 Corinthians, what they would do is they, you invite four or five families over for dinner. You, everyone have wine. At the end of the meal, the way you would celebrate is there would be a 10-person orgy. And then all they did was bring that to the church. And Paul's writing to those Christians. And then on top of that, the Holy Spirit starts falling. People are like praying in tongues and like acting all weird. And imagine you're a Christian. You walk in and there's a dude on this guy giving the guy on this guy the middle finger. And there's a dude sitting next to you spitting on you because he's talking a language you don't understand. And in the front of the church, the pastor's having sex with the person who's bringing communion. It's like, dude, why church? Why even go? Let's be honest. Some of you are asking that same question. Why do I even want to go to church? They're all bigots. They're only just Republicans or whatever you think that Christians are. They only support this. They're only about white power. And why even go anymore? And there are many of you in this room, you may not have the courage to ask this question, but our culture is. And that's my goal today. It's a very fun sermon. Pray for me. (laughs) I'm going to answer the question, why church, with four simple truths. And hopefully you'll love the local church as much as Jesus does. Number one, if you're taking notes, churches are made up of sinners. Hello, Captain Obvious, right? But what's interesting is that we get surprised when sinners act like sinners. When a blind person steps on you, you don't get angry. So why do you get angry when sinners act like sinners? Let me remind you who Christians are. We're not good people. We're not moral people. Actually, we're so bad, God had to send his son to die for us. That's how ratchet we are. We're so bad, God had to die. But at the same time, we're so loved that God was willing. Amen? And and Christians are not good people. We're forgiven people. And every time I I tell someone what my career is, what what my job is, like, oh, my gosh, what do you you do for a living? The first year of the church, I'd be like, I I was afraid to tell people I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, I'm in construction. And then they'd ask, what kind of construction? And then I'd deflect, oh, people construction. And they're like, what is that? I built people. I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, I would never go to church. I'm like, why? That place is full of hypocrites. And let me define for you what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't even live up to their own standard. But the truth is that Christians, we're not even living, we, we know we don't live up to our standard. That's why Jesus had to come, because we didn't live up to it. And Jesus had to come die for it, amen? Let me tell you what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who goes to McDonald's. Go with me for a second. Because you're spirit-filled. You want the best french fries in the market, which is McDonald's french fries. If you think in and out please leave right now. But McDonald's french fries are the best. Then whether you're a Big Mac or a double cheeseburger like me or 20-piece chicken McNugget, whatever, doesn't matter. You get french fries, something else. And then when they ask you, what do you want to drink? Only a hypocrite says Diet Coke. <laughs> Go all in and get a real Coke. Come on. That's a hypocrite. You're not even living. How can you pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, bless this food to my body? There's no way Jesus can. Jesus, he does miracles, just not that kind of miracle. <laughs> a hypocrite is someone who doesn't live up to their standard. But Christians, we, are, we know we can't. And so often Christians, I, I hear people who are kicking the, the, the tires to Christianity say, I, I don't want to come because that church is full of people. And they, they, there's a blank. Oh, they're, they're people who are unloving. Oh, it's full of people who, who gossip. Oh it's, oh, it's full of people who, who don't love. And I always respond, people just like you. No, 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 Pastor, no, no. They're just like you. No, no, churches are full of people who don't have love, just like you. People are full of churches, churches are full of people who lie, just like you. And what we often forget is churches are 
filled with sinners just like you. Point number two. Churches are hospitals for sinners, not museums for saints. Let me explain this for a second. In May of 2020, I actually had a tumor in my ear that literally almost killed me. The doctors found it by accident. They were able to do emergency surgery to remove this tumor in my ear. If they said that if they didn't find it, I probably would have died. And here it is in the height of the pandemic. I'm going to Kaiser expecting the hospital to be empty. I'm telling you, the ICU unit was like a circus. There's people everywhere. The ER was packed with people. I'm like, dude, the pandemic's fake. They're all lying to us. And then I realized this truth. Hospitals are full of sick people. A hospital that's empty isn't doing its job. In the same way, churches are full of sinners. And I wrote down like this. Maybe this will make sense to you. In one sense, sin is in the church. People struggling with sin is a sign of success, not failure. See, some of you need to change your perspective. Oh, why is that person dressed like that? Why does that person behave like that on social media? Did you see what he said? Why are you surprised when sinners act like sinners? The church is not good for healthy people, Jesus says. And he says it's for, for those who are sick. Luke chapter 5 says, Jesus answered, is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the same way that Jesus didn't come for good people, he came to forgive people. Listen, you would be alarmed if the hospital was empty. In the same way, you should be alarmed not when there's sin in the church, when everyone is righteous, everyone is holy, everyone is, is perfect. This is a hospital for messed up people. If you're jacked up, welcome home. Welcome home. If you have an addiction, welcome home. And if you don't like the person sitting next to you, welcome home. <laughs> Why? Because that's, that's what churches are about. They're not for the healthy. They're not for those who have it together. It's for the jacked up. And Tim Keller, he's his pastor, he says, churches can have two kinds of problems, living problems or dying problems. Dying problems are interesting because dying problems are when the church, they stop focusing on, on people outside the church and start arguing. What's the color of the walls? What, what songs are we going to sing? And why are we serving uh, meatloaf at, the, at this Bible study? And instead of focusing on reaching people who are far from God, we turn inward and fight each other instead of the devil. It's dying problems. Living problems are totally different because when a church becomes healthy and it reaches sinners, they're gonna, sinners are going to act like sinful people. And we're going to pray and fast for our friends to find faith. We're going to believe and share our, 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 our faith with those who, who don't know Jesus. I would rather have living problems than dying problems. Let me explain this another way. There are often times in the church when people are jacked up and you think, oh my gosh, what's Pastor Ali going to say? Listen, I celebrate. Uh, my senior year in college, my roommate became a bodybuilder. You could never tell, but he would spend hundreds of dollars on steroids and protein. And he introduced me to a guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cut. Names you would never even know. But if you Google Ronnie Coleman, yeah, buddy. There's this dude named Ronnie Coleman, eight-time Olympian. And every time this guy would get hyped up, he'd be like, yeah, buddy. It sounds like he's like a five-year-old. Yeah, buddy. And what I want to do, I want to bring that to the church. Let me tell you why. Because there are things that the world celebrates, I think the churches should celebrate. I'm going to tell you three stories of people who are super ratchet. 
and God made them righteous in our church. And I'm going to say, and the church said, I want you guys to say, yeah, buddy. Let's practice. The church said, yeah. Come on. Year one of our church, there was a Bible study of all men. There was this one guy who literally got saved on Sunday, came to group on Wednesday. And I said, hey, I want you to pray. He said, I don't know how to pray. I said, pray to God like he's your father. He's just your heavenly father. Dude gets up. There's four guys in a circle. And he goes, God, I'm so blank. Drops the F-bomb. And everyone's eyes open, and they're all looking at me. And I'm smiling. I'm like, just keep going. Don't, just keep going. I'm, I'm like happy. And afterwards, like, why didn't you correct him? Because I'm like, God's going to change his tongue later, but God has his heart today. And the church said, yeah. you could have living problems or you can have dying problems. Year two of our church, we put a billboard by Santana Row. Four college kids came. Three of them got saved that month. Two months later, one of them was this woman who her gender identity was that of a male. Her name was Todd. And she came to my wife's Bible study. My wife challenged her, told her what the sexual ethic of Christianity was. On the day of her baptism, she stood in the tank and said, my name is Amanda. I'm a child of God. I used to think God was this mean, angry God, but I realized he's this loving father. And he sent his son Jesus to die for me. I used to be known as Todd, but my heavenly name that God gave me is Amanda. And a few weeks later, she wore a dress to church. And Pastor Yaz says, you look so pretty today. So ladylike of you. And the church said, yeah. yeah, buddy. And there's this leader in this church who used to be a drug dealer. She prefers the term pharmaceutical sales. <laughs> and she knew how to find new customers. She knew how to, like, delegate responsibility, have positive cash flow. You know what I'm talking about? And she has helped grow this church. Anybody thankful for Pastor Yasmin? pharmaceutical sales <laughs> and the church said yeah, you have two kinds of problems dying problems where we argue about the songs that we sing and the color on the wall or we have living problems where sinners act like sinners because this church is not a museum for the saints it is a hospital for sinners <laughs> amen? amen point number three point number three is this churches sometimes hurt people I need to pause right here because this is the, 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 the massive mer meta narrative, narrative on social media. There's this term that's being pushed around called deconstruction. We're deconstructing our faith. We're, we don't even know if Jesus is real anymore. Let me tell you who these people are. These are hurt Christians. And I, I just got to pause and acknowledge many of you who have come to this church, you were hurt at your previous church. I'm so sorry your pastor yelled at you. I'm so sorry he abused you. He took advantage of you. Many of you, are, you're exploring Christianity. And, and you heard about that documentary on Discovery Channel about a church in Australia and how jacked up it is. Or how about that church in Seattle, Washington, that the rise and fall. Of, I'm not going to mention any names of that church, right? Or how about that church from the south that likes to baptize people and the sexual immorality that's been going on there, hiding the number of pastors who are abusing their congregants. Let me, let me just acknowledge, that sucks. Churches should never be a place where people are hurt. But what so many people in our culture want to do is they want to throw the church out with the bathwater. And I just want to acknowledge, yeah, I know churches sometimes hurt people, but I wrote it down like this. The vast majority of churches, and I mean vast majority, I mean 99.99% of people, churches, we didn't get in this for money, we didn't get in this for fame. We got in this to help people. The vast majority of churches are led by loving Bible teaching pastors 
who are vital to the health of your church. So let me acknowledge why on social media, why in our news, you are constantly being bombarded, constantly being told the church sucks, the church sucks, the church sucks. Because this is what Satan does. He's called the father of lies. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't have a pitchfork. I know you saw that on Tiny Tunes. He does not have a pitchfork. He lies. His, his only weapon is accusation and deception. And the question is, well, how did Satan attack Jesus? Remember on the night that Jesus was crucified, he was trialed, tried like a criminal. Satan tried to give this perception that he's this lying, stealing person you can't trust. And even Pontius Pilate, who put him on trial, said, this man is innocent. He's done nothing. Because that's what Satan does. He lies about Jesus, and he's doing the same thing about the church. I wrote down like this. The way that Satan lied about Jesus back then is the way that Satan lies about the church today. So I know you may have had some pain, but the church does not suck, by the way. Because there's one thing that Jesus built in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, I will build my church. He's not building a 401k, which he might. He's not building nonprofit organizations. Listen, he's not even building orphanages. Jesus is doing one thing, and he's been doing one thing for 2,000 years, building the church. So if you don't like the local church, then you don't like Jesus. Because Jesus died and loves the local church. And what I want to do is I want to expose the lies of Satan that are like massively on social media. Like I wanted to say this in 2020, but I, I, I just watched as people attacked the church and made the church look stupid and made, and it's, those lies have not stopped. So what I want to do is I want to talk about nine lies that, the, that, that our culture is telling about the church and give you the actual truth. Can we go there? Some of you are going to be very upset with me, but that's okay. Send me an email. I can't wait to not read it. The first lie. The church isn't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. The truth is Christians adopt more children than any other population segment. That's the truth. The foster care program was initiated, funded, put on the shoulders of Christians in this valley. It's called Foster the City. This church gives every month to the foster care program. Second lie, the church is veiled with white supremacy, racism, and xenophobia. The truth is churches are most likely are the most likely people to serve immigrants and refugees. There are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees that are coming to America. Do you know where 75% of the money is coming from? Not Uncle Sam. Local churches. Local churches. Third lie that, that is being told. The church is emotionally repressive and bad for your mental health. The truth is regular church attendance significantly. Someone say significantly improves mental health. People who attend church regularly are 30% likely to be depressed, five times less likely to commit suicide, experience reduced anxiety, and in fact, we're the only, we're the only population segment in 2020 that improved their mental health. Everyone else went down. Fourth lie, the church doesn't care about the poor. They only care about power. The truth is, church attenders donate more time and money than anyone in America. The fifth truth, lie is the church is sexually repressive. The truth is regular church attenders have the most, the most fulfilling sex lives of anyone in America. According to a study cited by the New York Times, married, church-going Christians have the most fulfilling sex lives of anyone in America. But any husbands, they're not getting enough sex. Here's the best pickup line. Honey, do you want to go to church? <laughs> Honey, do you want to go to church? And the church said, wow. If your evening is good, you're welcome. 
Sixth lie. There are better things for your kids than church. Regular church attendance is crazy good for kids. Children who attend church, listen, experience higher GPAs, higher satisfactions with their family relationships, are 30% less likely to avoid drinking, smoking, drug use, and sexual problems and experience 20% increase in happiness compared to non-church-going kids. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Come on. Unless you're younger than 18, tell your mom to do it. Seventh lie, or the eighth lie, I should say. Church is a waste of time. And the fact is regular church attendance literally, and I'm going to prove it to you, literally gives you more time. In 2016, Harvard School of Public Health study showed that people who attended regular church attendance at least once a week increased their life expectancy by seven years. If I can quote the great theologian Maui from Moana, you're welcome. <laughs> Last one. Church is a tool of the patriarchy, perpetuating male abuse and oppression. And the truth is, church husbands are drastically less likely to abuse their wife and kids. Levels of domestic violence are, are, listen, twice as likely for men who don't attend church compared to those who do. The happiest wives in America, the happiest wives in America are church-going women with regular church attenders. Regular church attenders are 50% likely less to divorce. Don't believe the lie that the divorce rate is the same. It is not. So if you want to do things like end world uh, orphan crisis, eliminate global poverty, improve your mental health, have great sex, have great marriage, raise great kids, go to church. Go to church. And the church said? Yeah, yeah buddy. Last point. Churches are designed by God to be awesome. If I can land the plane, it's really this. The church, the culture is going to lie to you not to go to church, but why would God design something if it sucked? In the same way that Satan lied about the church, about Jesus, he's lying about the church. And my challenge to you is listen to Jesus, not the culture. Why would God create something that sucks? He doesn't. He's building his church. You can trust. So why church? My question is, why not? Why not? And really, I'm going to show you this verse. First Corinthians says, Paul, called to be an apostle, which is basically sent out one or messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Again, he's the guy that actually wrote down the audible words of Paul to the church. Someone say church of God in Corinth. That word church in Greek is this, ekklesia. It's the next slide. Ecclesia. It's a called out assembly or congregation. See, often when I preach, I'll get someone in the hallway like, Pastor Ali, you're always like calling me out. You're always like telling me things I don't want to hear. I'm just calling you to your name. Right? Like Jesus called you out from death to life. He called you from darkness into heaven. He called you from hell to, to heaven. He called you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. Right? So if you're feeling called out, you're welcome, because that's who you are. But it's this called out assembly. Someone say assembly. And it's hard to be an assembly if you don't assemble. Let me just pause for a second and shift my focus from those in this room to those online. Uh, I am not a politician. Politicians want to be liked, and they want to win votes. I'm a pastor. My job is to make disciples. And I'm anybody taking for church online, I'm thankful. It's awesome. But, someone say but. I like big buts and I cannot lie. But, church online, 
was never meant to be a replacement, but a substitute. Let me speak to those online for a second, because the people in the room don't need to hear this. This is going to upset some of you online. The pandemic is over. It's time to come back in the room. Too many of you watch. There's 25 of you, and I love you. Some of you are our biggest givers. But your feelings will never drive what I'm going to preach. It's time for you watching online to get back in the room. Because not only do we need you, listen, you need us. And God doesn't want you to be a called out online assembly. You can't be an assembly if you don't gather. You can't be the church by yourself. Man, oh, I'm not Dr. Fauci. I can't declare what isn't, isn't over. But it's time to come back in the room. It's time for the church to regather, develop new habits. It's time to get back in the room. I love you, Church Online. Many of our people that come to this church for the very first time, they Netflix us before they come in the room. Many of our givers, they watch and listen to our sermons before they give. I'm grateful. I'm not angry. I'm just saying it's time to get back in the room. Look what Paul potentially says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur, someone say one another, one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing. This is not a first century problem. This is not just a COVID problem. This is a problem with us. We love comfort more than calling. We love convenience. That's why DoorDash is so awesome. That's why I love BevMo on DoorDash. I don't even need to leave if I want to be here. Just, it comes to me in Jesus' name. But encouraging one another. The scriptures are telling me to encourage you, church online. Encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. And often the number one answer I get is, Pastor Ali, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And you're right. In some sense, you don't. Because the guy on the cross that was next to Jesus never got baptized, never went to church, never even read his Bible, and the dude was going to heaven. But just because you sit in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you stick your head in an oven doesn't make you a biscuit. <laughs> and just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. But if a car does not do what it was designed to do, it will never fulfill its function. You were given spiritual gifts to serve other people. You were given gifts to serve one another. And this word one another is this Greek word, alion, one another. Someone say one another. That Greek word shows up 100 times in your Bible. 47 times it's a command. Love one another. Serve one another. Bear one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. You can't do Christianity alone. You can get saved by yourself, but you can't walk with Jesus by yourself. The scriptures are literally saying, do these things one another. But Pastor Ali, how often do you want me to come? Next slide. Attend church regularly. Pre-COVID, the average Christian came to church 1.7 times a month. I don't know what the statistics are yet. We're still trying to figure that out. But imagine you went to the bathroom 1.7 times a week. Would you feel regular? <laughs> imagine you got paid 1.7 times a month. 
would you want to go back to your regular job? So often we don't realize that the way that we do life is influencing. I'm going to speak to the parents for a second. Your kids will never have God on their priority list if it's not your priority. I have parents all the time say, Pastor Ali, why don't my kids walk with God? Because I'm like, you taught them not to. You taught, by your attendance, and statistically speaking, let me read you the statistics, every drop in frequency of a, of a family's church attendance correlates exactly to a drop in a child's faith development. Do you want your kids to walk with God? You walk with God. You want your kids to have Jesus as a priority. You have to model that as a priority. And so often we don't realize, oh, uh, we say things like, I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church because of the pain that we've experienced or maybe the inconvenience it does with our schedule. We, we want to do all these things, but the same question that Corinth was asking 2,000 years ago, why church is the same question that we're asking today. Why go? Why go? Because your soul needs it. Let me tell you why. In 1 Peter, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the guy who lied about Jesus, the guy who lies about the church, look what he's doing. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. My daughter, right now, her favorite show on YouTube is like these baby animals. You ever see these shows? Like they only show like the baby version of a koala or the baby sh- version of a cat or the baby shirt of like a dog. She, I don't know why. My kids love the little versions of these little animals. And at the end of every one of these videos, you'll see like other nature videos. She's like, Dad, what's that video? It's like this lion eating like a gazelle or something. She's like, Daddy. And every one of these videos, it's never the weak gazelle that dies. It's never the old gazelle that dies. It's always, listen, it's always the isolated one. So I wanted to kind of give you a picture spiritually what it looks like for a Christian to not walk with God. That's the isolated Christian. And life, not the devil, that's life right behind you. So if you're looking at your schedule and you're going, I don't have time, that's you. See, I'll never fit into that church. That's you. I'm an introvert, Pastor Ali. Mixed two of us. I got hurt in the church one time. Let me tell you, often the place where you got hurt is the place where God wants to heal you as well. I don't know if I'll fit in my, with my kid's soccer schedule. You. I don't know if I agree with, with how they vote. You. What God doesn't want is to you to do life alone. I want to encourage some of you. You can pull this out. Every person. I want you to put your name on the top. Put your email address. And where it says phone, put your credit card number. I'm just kidding. But what I want to challenge you with a sermon like this is to push you out of your comfort zone. For those of you online, I want you to fill out an online connection card. We'll try to put that link on the screen. For some of you, it's time to get in a group. And stop doing Christianity alone. For some of you, you've been coming for weeks, if not months, and you're on the fringe. You're on the outside looking in. Time to get in on the party. Church is a called out assembly. It's not a building. It's people. You are the church. Churches don't have the spiritual gift of listening. They have the spiritual gift of serving. 
So if you're not serving in the church, you're not the church. And God wants you to get involved. So what's your next step? Listen, it's not going home and saying, that was a good talk. It's doing something about it. I'm not saying this because I'm angry, because I'm trying to condemn anyone. I want the best for you. If you want to heal your marriage, if you want your kids to grow up and have a great life, if you want your family to come to faith, get involved in the local church. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for this difficult truth that often, God, we treat with neglect and contempt, and we squeeze you in when we can, God. But God, you, your blood was squeezed out on the cross so that we could have new life. God, I pray, that, Lord, that we would reevaluate our priorities. We wouldn't put you at the top of the list, God. We'd put you in every element in our list. We want you, God, at our work. We want you in our finances. We want you in our sexuality. We want you in our career. We want you in our faith. We want you in our family. God, you're not just a thing that we add. You are the thing that we center our entire life around. God, I pray, Lord, that we would see that you died to build the local church. There's no other place, God, where you can heal marriages. There's no other place where addictions are broken. There's no other place where people are set free like the local church. God, forgive me that I've been complaining criticizing the thing that you're building. God, I want to acknowledge my pain. There are some of you in this room I just want to pause for a second. Criticizing your pain will make your pain go away. God gave you a tool. It's called to forgive. Forgiveness is the most powerful tool that you have to release the bitterness, to surrender and let go. I'm so sorry that your past church or your Christian friends hurt you. But let today be the day that you forgive them. Let today be the day that you forgive. God, there are people in this room that can hear the sound of my voice and they're carrying real pain, real betrayal. They were really let down. I'm so sorry, God, for them. I pray, God, that you'd heal their heart, heal their emotions. And God, in doing so in faith, as they surrender to you, God, you would heal their wounds and give them a new passion, a new love for your local church. There are some of you in this room, though, it's hard to forgive until you've received the forgiveness of God. Christianity is not a religion about doing things and going places. It's about knowing someone and trusting him. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he, he's the God that created the heavens and the earth. And 2,000 years ago, long before he became a man, he existed eternally in eternity past. But he chose to enter human history, not to give us a book or to create a building and an organization. He came to die on a cross for our sin. And this God loves you. He sees all the crazy things you and I have done and still loves us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were in the church, but we were in the club. God saw us at our worst and still chose to die for us. And there's some of you in this room, before you could forgive another person of the pain that they've caused, you need to first receive the forgiveness of God. And in a moment, I want to pray for some of you. I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three if you want to pray for the very first time. I want to say, God, I want to make you my Lord and Savior. One, with every eye closed and every head bowed. One, 
two, three. If that's you and you want to start a relationship with the living God. Amen. Amen. Pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. That you left heaven for me. Thank you, God, that you died for my mistakes. For all the ways that I fell short. God, you didn't just die for my sins in the past. You died for my sins today. And you even died for my sins that I haven't even committed yet. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me so much. God, as I place my trust in you, as I place my faith in you, as I call on your name as my God, help me walk with you all the days of my life. God, help me find a church that I can build my life on because there's one thing that you're building, Jesus, and that's the local church. And everybody said... Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.